Well, we're talking about developing a foundation for an effective prayer life. And we know an effective prayer life is where you're praying all manner of prayer as you are stirred by the Spirit. So we see that the Holy Spirit is the orchestrator of our prayer life. It's a wonderful thing when you go to your Father and you spend time in that secret place, one-on-one, face-to-face with Him. Because you know He hears you. And if you know He hears you, you already know you have the petitions you've required, you've asked of Him. You know that when you're with Him, He's on the outside of that secret place working everything out in your life setting everything up for you to fulfill God's plan and purpose for your life. So we must know how to pray. See, we have to be careful in this series because I'm talking a lot about what we need to do. But let me say this in the context. We are not making prayer all about us. In reality, we're learning how to make it all about Him. It's all about Him. And I'm telling you, the reality, when you walk with the Lord, it's, I, I love the way Paul said it. In the literal Greek, it would read, I have been and am crucified with Christ. This is Galatians 2.20. But nevertheless, I live. But then he says, but yet not I. It's what? It's Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live it by the what? By the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's how we live. Oh Lord, more of you and less of us, right? And to be honest with you, you get to the place where you can't really see where he ends and you begin because your will is conforming. His word is abiding in you. You're abiding in him. And, it, it, you know, in the Greek language at John 15, 7, it says, and you'll ask whatever you will, and it'll be done. But it, in the Greek, it literally gives you the hint that you and I will ask whatever you will. Like, our wills are so in, entwined, you can't tell the difference. And that's life right there. So we've been talking about, we started talking about last week, fervency in prayer. And so this is, this is a huge thing. Most people tell me all the facts of how to pray and they, they go with the facts and they never get anywhere because nothing gets big on the inside of them because they don't know how to get fervent in prayer. In other words, they never get over themselves. And it's just all about them. And the only thing that tends to get big on the inside of us is, is our life. And I'm telling you, Satan will blow you from problem to problem to circumstance to circumstance. Poverty and lack will never start me- stop messing with you until you mess with them. Sickness and disease will never stop messing with you until you mess with them. You'll, you'll be all about all the stuff that you need, want, and desire, and you'll miss God's plan for your life because it's all about his kingdom. And the road to living a life of your dreams, having all of your desires fulfilled, is where you take your eyes off yourself and they're on him. And now, as you're fixing your eyes on him, as you're living for him, he's literally harvesting into your life. That's the way it works. That's life. Isn't it amazing when Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus and he says, listen, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. See, we need to have the same, same attitude because the reality of it is 
We're so one with him now. We're sensitive to the things of the Spirit because we're learning how to get fervent. We're learning how to keep that flesh on the altar, right? We're, we're, we're letting the Holy Spirit take us progressively through step by step some of these things in our flesh that are hindering us, that are making us not, they're dulling our senses spiritually. And as we get more and more, we walk more and more in the freedom whereby Christ has made us free, then we get very sensitive to his leading. And now we're in a position to where it's not about us because that's what really turns you on. Being all about yourself doesn't really turn you on because we're not made that way. That's just our flesh. And we start to tap in to what prayer is really about. What is it? It's bringing heaven to this earth. It's, it's literally bringing the will of God, the power of God, the presence of God into situations in other people's lives, situations in regions and cities and nations. And oh, by the way, while we're doing that, God is bringing his presence and power into our life and eradicating things in our life. So we're talking about fervency in prayer. Last week we said this, we must develop fervency in our prayer life, right? You, uh, you, you say that you're going to have a prayer night at church, and you know, and especially if you start saying you're going to pray every, every Friday night, it's crickets usually. There's three people, right, you know? But, but that's because people don't understand prayer. Because when you understand prayer, and you understand what it does, I mean, I get fired up just in, while I'm driving my car to church just for that 15, 20 minutes that I'm in a car spending it with him. I mean, it's just, it's awesome because you have audience with your father. It's amazing. So we got to develop this fervency in our prayer life. Fervency, what is it? We said it's zeal, right? We defined it as eagerness of mind. As the Holy Spirit stirs you to pray, fervency increases. He is the catalyst for fervency. As he stirs you, things get very big on the inside of you. So the key is positioning yourself in a place where he can stir you. And that's so simple. The Holy Spirit leads you right into it. We said this last week, what becomes big on the inside of us is what we're going to pray out fervently, right? It's just a reality. So then we went into that whole thing. I won't go deep into it, but as how do we get fervent? What's the key, right? If you had a key to unlock your car, the key to get in your fervency mobile is cutting away your flesh. There's no way around that. It's just, that's exactly what it is. So, but here's the cool thing. Your spirit wants that. Your flesh doesn't want it, but to that we say, get over yourself, right? Because that's okay. I'm not going to let my flesh rule me. I'm not going to let my, or my emotions be my guide, right? No, no, no. The Holy Spirit's my guide. And what does he use? He, he lights, this is my lamp and my light, his word, not my emotions. But boy, when I get things right, my emotions are great. They'll motivate me to go do the will of God. Right? But I'm never going to let them lead me. Because, man, if, if, if that emotion ever gets twisted at all, 
because I start looking at wrong things, it could take me in a wrong direction. So we cut away the flesh. We put away the things of the flesh. This is what we mean. We put those things away, the things of the flesh, and we give ourselves wholly to the Lord. I'm telling you, right, like right now, coming out of my spirit is just this overwhelming sense that he wants to introduce you to who you really are. He wants you to meet yourself the way you really are. To help you never again see yourself as you seem. Because if we, if we look at who we seem, you might think, well, I'm too young to do anything for God. Then, then you get to a certain age and you're like, well, I'm too old to do anything for God. And then it's like, well, I... I don't have enough money to do everything for anything for God, and I don't know the right people, and I'm not, you know, I just, I, I'm not a good enough speaker. You know, then you're a pastor, and, and all these friends that you get to know are dynamic preachers, and they can sing. It's like, how unfair is that, right? And the enemy sits on your shoulder and says, see, you know, you're just, you're half-baked. You can't sing, Right? But, down, but, but no, that's not really true. I can sing. I just should never have a mic on when I sing. <laughs> but I can. I make a joyful noise and it pleases my father. Amen. You know, he just, uh, he has this filter that it just, it just sounds wonderful, right? Because it resounds, he hears my heart. See, the enemy will tell you you're not enough. But God will tell you you're more than enough in him. Because it's all about him. You, you know, you've heard me say this before. He makes up the difference. So if you're a one and you're going into a battle and you need to be 100, he'll be a 99, right? If you're a 99, he'll be a, he'll be a one. But you'll always be more than you need to be in him. Why? Because I'm continually strengthened inwardly in the Lord. So as we cut away the things of the flesh, as we give ourselves wholly to the Spirit of God, what happens, it causes a sensitivity to spiritual things. It causes a sensitivity to the leading of the Holy Spirit. So now I know what to pray. I know who to pray for. I know, see, sometimes you look at a situation and, and you, might, you might be praying out in your own strength symptoms. That's just a symptom that you're praying about. No, no, God wants you to pray about the root and get right to it, right? So he'll, he'll take care of things because you kill the root of something and it could knock out 10 or 15 outward symptoms or signs of things, right? So we talked about that. Sensitivity to the things of God. Sensitivity to the Spirit of God. What, what do we mean by sensitivity? It means my spirit and my soul become very conscious of the Holy Spirit, of his voice, of his leading. We see him in everything. We see everything the way he sees it. Like all your prayers, you're not looking at the circumstances, you're looking at him as the answer. You're not comparing who you are or what you're praying to anything, you know, you're not comparing yourself to the circumstance. You're comparing everything you're praying for to him, which nothing is big to him, right? Sin will always dull your consciousness. Satan knows this. That's why he always 
wants to get you off looking at something else. Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind me, I press forward, right? Moses, the burning bush. I mean, you know, we, we said, you've heard me say this before. Most people miss probably one of the greatest parts of that story where God told Moses, take off your sandals because where you're standing is holy ground. Now, we just read that and think, well, yeah, God's holy. I need to take my shoes off. But if you understand the culture of that day, God was telling Moses, listen, I'm about to send you to a new place. And the culture was, when you went to another phase, a new place, you took off your shoes to signify that you weren't taking anything from your past into your future. See, this will help you get, it makes everything very simple. It cleans your conscience. It gets all the clutter out of your life. We could have so much clutter in our life because of technology, right? We gotta be real careful with that. Fervency compels us to instantly give ourselves to prayer as the Holy Spirit leads us. Not as we think, but as he leads us, right? So we, we talked yesterday, or last week, we talked about Romans chapter 12. So let's turn there, and we're going to jump off again in Romans 12, 1. Hallelujah. You guys doing okay? It's a real sweet spirit here tonight. Hallelujah. Romans 12, 1, we went, we went deep into this last week. But if you study the book of Romans, it's real interesting. Paul goes through the first eight chapters, and really chapter eight is the victory chapter. It tells you all about how to walk in, or, or the victory that you're to have in every area of your life. You learn from Romans chapter eight that God wants you victorious in every area of your life. And then chapters nine, 10, and 11, Paul does a side journey. You've been around here long enough to know I tend to take some side journeys. Right, So he takes a side journey and he's talking about Israel and there's some great stuff in there but then in chapter 12 it's like seamless. You could end chapter 8 and go right to chapter 12 and now in verse 1 he's going to start telling us how to walk in victory. So the first thing he says, I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So, and we said that reasonable service, it literally means it's your logical progression. So we talked about, and this is the cutting away of the flesh. You have to present your body. This is a foundational piece to having an effective prayer life. You're never going to have an effective prayer life if you don't do this. It's a one-time decision that you walk out every day of your life, right? And it's a living sacrifice. You know that because your flesh hurts, doesn't like it. It's always trying to crawl, crawl off the altar, right? But here's the thing. We're to yield our bodies as being dead to sin and alive to God. We said that last week. This is how we cut away the flesh. We have to yield Ourself. We have to yield our body. I, the spirit man, Tony, yield my body as being what? Dead to sin and alive to God. I have to do that. What does that mean? 
You yield your body. How do you do that? By knowing who you are in Christ. If you don't know who you are in Christ, knock yourself out. Your flesh is always probably going to kick your butt. And, and you're going to be constantly living a life, doing what you don't want to do. But when you find out who you are in Christ, that, that is the road to yielding your body dead to sin. So this is huge. You yield your body by knowing who you are in Christ. And then, number two, you reckon yourself to be dead to sin. I am a walking dead man, and if you know Christ tonight, so are you. You're dead to sin. And when we talk about sin, we're talking about hamartia. We're going to get into this tonight. That's a Greek noun. It's talking about I am dead to the sin nature. My spirit has no sin nature in it. I'm dead to it. I have to yield my body as being dead. And I have to wreck, I do that by reckoning my body dead to sin. So let's talk about this just a little bit. How do I do this? It's Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2 will show you and I how to maintain this. This is huge. So we're jumping off. So that was the preview from last week. Now we're getting into new territory. So how do I maintain this? Romans 12.2, and be not conformed. This Greek word means don't be fashioned into the mold of, or don't be molded, what? To this world. Now that's a little vague. It's the Greek word cosmos. It means world system. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us in order to do this, in order to yield your body dead to sin, to reckon yourself dead to sin, you have to do this. Don't allow yourself to be molded into the same mold that the world is in. In other words, a child of God should not look like the world. Right now in the church, a lot of people don't know the Lord because they, they're confused because we look so much like the world. The divorce rate in the church is the same as the world. The, the people in the church many times are just as worldly as the world. Why is that? It's because we're just horrible people? No. We're just letting our flesh rule us. But, but we have to, see, I have to point at myself as the problem there because as a pastor, it's very clear the gifts inside of me is to teach you knowledge of the word of God, right? The facts of what the word says and understanding how to apply those facts to your life so that you will be equipped to go walk out God's path for your life. So we need to do a better job as pastors. We can't be moved by people. We have to preach the principles of the word of God. And we're always going to do that, right? Because we all need it. And a big part of this is you don't get this stuff alone. We get it all together, right? So let's look at this. And be not conformed. Don't be molded to this world, but be transformed. This is the Greek word metamorpho. It literally means be changed, right? Be transfigured. 
Remember the Mount of Transfiguration where Jesus was transfigured? It was a Greek word, metamorpho. What was on the inside of him showed on the arts outside. Do you know what the Holy Spirit does? His ministry? He will bring on the outside who you are on the inside. He wants to show it to you and then show it to the world. You're awesome. You're a lot like Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world, right? But be transformed, be changed, be transfigured, be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. This word renew, this Greek word means by the renovation of your mind. So if you're going to renovate a kitchen or a bathroom, what's the first thing you do? You get a sledgehammer and you tear everything out, right? That's the cutting away of your flesh. But in your mind, it's changing how you think. So when you cut away things in your flesh and you're like, no, I'm no longer going to go down this road, you realize that road will come all the way back. Why am I doing this in the first place? Because of my thought life. Right? I'm here, and why, why am I thinking wrong things? Because I choose to hear wrong things. Because I'm around the wrong environment. Right? It's impossible for me to be blessed that way. So I get in the right environment, and I, I don't let myself be pressed into the mold of the world, but the goal now is I'm going to be transformed, I'm going to be changed as I renew my mind or renovate my mind with the word of God. So it says, by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove, this, liter this Greek word literally means to determine by experience what is that good. That, that Greek word good means morally excellent, acceptable. That Greek word means well-pleasing unto God, and perfect. That Greek word means complete. Will of God. Three adjectives that describe the one will of God for your life. And if you look at these Greek words, you see in them there's a progression. We always talked about it. See, a lot of people, a lot of people have taken these Greek words and thought, well, well, there's three wills. You know, you could, there's a good will. And you start out there and it's great. But, you know, then there's acceptable, but then there's perfect. But it doesn't say good, acceptable, and perfect wills of God. It says one will that's good, acceptable, and perfect. It denotes a progression. Why? Because the renewing of your mind is a progression. So as you start the process, you throw your body on that altar... You're keeping your flesh under and then you start obeying the word and you meditate in the word and now the Holy Spirit's down on the inside of you. The entrance of his word gives light. That word entrance means the opening. As the Holy Spirit opens his word, right? You remember all this, right? Now, I, gotta, and I can't really preach without a water bottle. Man. So, so remember, God's words are containers. They contain his thoughts, the Hebrew word for thoughts is the Hebrew word yestar. It, that word means a molding and a shaping. 
so the thoughts, God's thoughts will mold and shape you. So you, you make a decision to put his word in your heart. How do you get it in your heart? By speaking it out of your mouth. You meditate in it. That means to mutter over and over, Father, I thank you, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You say whatever it is, over and over, the Holy Spirit's down on the inside of you, and all of a sudden, he opens it. The entrance of his word, what comes out is light. Psalm 119, verse 105, his word is a lamp to my feet. The light that comes out of it tells me where I'm at. Right? It's also a light to my path. It tells me where to go. I wonder if that could help you in your prayer life. It's exactly how it works. Because who is the one that opens it? See, do you see how this is all about Jesus? Do you know you and I can't even understand John 3.16? Oh, we might be able to quote it, but we can never see it unless the Holy Spirit shows it to us. And he can't show it to us unless we hunger for it and are fervent for it. But God wants to pour his thoughts all over you so that you're saturated in him. So that he molds you and shapes you. He wants you... See, the Holy Spirit's great at doing that. Because when you got saved, the first thing he opened up, we love him because why? He first loved us. So he opens up the love of God. When he comes in, he made you brand new. That old spirit that you were is gone forever. All the sins wiped out. Talk to you about your past. I don't have one. Right? I, I don't have one. Well, you got saved when you were four and a half years old. Yep. But guess what? I'm renewed day by day. So I, I, I live with no past. The blood of Jesus cleansed me of all the sin. It's all been gone. It's all judged in the body of Jesus. Romans chapter 8, I'm dead to sin now, so I'm free. So now he's down, and Romans 8, 5 says, he sheds, he pours the love of God abroad in my heart, saturates me with the love of God. I could love unlovable people. I could love those that despitefully use me. Oh, the depth of the love of God in my heart is just like him. And then God says, John 16, 33 and 34, hey, I command you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I love you. Unconditional. What are we talking about? We're talking about the foundation of an incredible prayer life. Because you realize it's all him. The good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. See, as you renew your mind you'll change the way you think. It changes everything in your life. Paul is saying that the renewing of your mind is the key to walking in victory. The renewing of your mind is the key to an effective prayer life. Because our weakness, Romans chapter 8, our weakness is we don't know how to pray for as we ought. This is why I can't walk out anybody else's salvation. I work out my own salvation, right? Because I might see some areas some people need to change in, but how do I know that's the next area that God wants to deal with them on? And he only deals with one at a time. You can't show me one place in the Bible where God told the children of Israel to go to two cities at the same time. Nope, one. So that's how come you can't work out your wife's salvation, 
Wives, you can't work out your husband's salvation. Parents, you can't work out your kid's salvation. Now, I say that under the context when they're growing up, you know, like our kids, they never asked if they could go to church or not. Because that, that's, that's a ridiculous question. Because we'd look at them and go, what? What are you talking about? You are the church. Right? Our kids did come to us at one point when we were leading the youth group. You know, early on in the church, and they're like, you know, they made this official plea from their dad. I'm like, no. They're like, they're like don't you even want to think about it? I'm like, no. No, can't go. Got to go to ours. Yeah, but we don't like it. I'm like, we're both kind of like, okay, so? You know, and, and so they push that envelope a little bit. I'm like, listen, great. If you don't like it, then get before the Lord and change it. Because I'm not going to teach my kids to just run and go somewhere else. No, 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 no. Uh, we're Christians. The Holy Spirit orchestrates our life. Jesus is our Lord. If you don't like something, then change it. But I'm only moving if he tells me to move. Find your answer in God's word, renew your mind to it, and then walk in it. Great prayer. Three steps to answered prayer. Find, right? Find your answer in God's word. But this is what we do. We find our answer in God's word. And then because we're all, we're just into this need thing, then we instantly just pray. No, 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 no. You haven't seen anything yet. You don't even know how to pray. No, pastor, that's silly. I need money. Okay, relax. Because God can't get anything to you unless you see it. So you, re- you, you find your answer. You find, hey, God's will is that I increase. He will meet all of my needs. All this big mess that I made financially, he'll clean that up for me. Great. I have two or three scriptures on that, but then what do I do? Instead of just jumping in the prayer, start meditating in that. Renew your mind to it to where all of a sudden you jump up and now you know what to do. And now you start walking in the victory of it. You go to God and instead of begging him, You go to God and you realize, oh, wait a minute. This word ask in the New Testament is not beg. It's call for, require, and make a demand for. So instead, you go to God and say, hey, I'm calling for the finances that you provided for me 2,000 years before I was born. And I already know, you know, Psalm 23, you said you already prepared a table. So I already know it's there. So I'm calling for the money that I need. I'm requiring it. I'm making a demand for it. And you know what God says? That's awesome. Instead of, oh God, please. Oh God, please. Because see, we don't receive from God based on our need, based on what's fair, what's right. We receive from him, how? Based on faith. Because you can't receive any other way. Right? So you find the answer in the word, Renew your mind to it, and then you start walking in the victory of it. And the Holy Spirit orchestrates that. So that's, that's kindergarten prayer. That, that's, that's, like, that's, that's preschool. That's foundational, right? So let's, let's keep that in mind, because you'll find that these kindergarten, preschool-level statements about your prayer life, the more you look at them, you can actually get 
PhD level kindergarten. It's really cool. To be honest with you, man, I just can't get away from the basics. I, 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 I walk in such a small revelation of John 3.16, I can't wait for a couple hundred thousand years what I'll know about that verse, right? This is how big God is, but it doesn't take much life to dispel all the death out of your life because he's so good. Find your answer in God's word, renew your mind to it, and then walk in the victory of it. Reading God's word is not enough. You must renew your mind to God's word for it to work for you. You have to, because, see, we're made. You can't, you only say what you see. So know that. If you're running around talking about your circumstances, why? It's because you're looking at them all day. Does that make sense? And what you look at, you will eventually start looking to, and it'll become your source. And if it's not God, it'll become your source of inner turmoil. That's why we want to look at God. And you, you, you fix your eyes on his word. You're renewing your mind to his word. All of a sudden, light is coming, and now your spirit man's grabbing onto things, and then your spirit will communicate that to your mind. We call that the renovation, the washing of the water of the word. It's where God has taken out plants that were not planted by him. He's uprooting things. You're starting to change the way you think. All of a sudden, when you go to prayer, you understand who you are. And it changes your whole prayer life. Because you know God always hears you. That you know that Jesus is on the throne watching over his word to perform it for you. Right? And you're not getting him to do something. We can't because he already did it. We're just laying hold through faith what he's given us by his grace instead of this begging God and then wondering why nothing's working and then, we're, then now we're really confused about God and so what we do is we just stop reading our Bible, stop praying because it's not really working. Does that make sense? So we must get God's word down on the inside so that we can reckon ourselves to be who the word says we are instead of what the world says you are. This is the difference between being conformed to the world and being transformed. You get the word down on the inside of you, so now you are reckoning yourself to be who God says you are instead of who the world says you are. Because you could look at an empty checkbook and think you're in lack, when you're really not because Jesus is your prosperity. You enter into God's perfect will in degrees because the renewing of your mind is a progression. It's a process. You, in other words, you could say it this way. You enter the perfect will of God progressively. But just start the process because he's got your back, right? It doesn't matter. Like, when I started all this, I'm like, okay, God, you know, this is great, but I went to my pastor, I remember, years ago, and I'm like, okay, I don't even, you know, how do I get back to the will of God? 
He goes, oh, that's real simple. Maybe simple for him. He wasn't near the mess I was. He's like, you just go back to the last time you knew you were in the will of God. And, and, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm like, all right, so I'm, I'm very confident. January 22nd, 1962, in a hospital in Chicago, Illinois, I came out of my mother's womb and I'm sure I was in the will of God. <laughs> After that, it gets really skewed. <laughs> right? And for many people, it's like that. No, no, just start the path. And here's the thing. You don't have to know. Just go, okay. Holy Spirit, I need your help. That gets his attention because guess what? He's capital H, helper. He's ultimate helper. He wants to help you, right? And start the process. It's a progression. And these 800 areas of your life that are a mess, just start working on the one that he's leading you to. He'll take care of all the other junk. You just, you just focus on that. And, and all of a sudden, you'll find as you walk through that he's having you work on this area and he takes care of five areas. And all of a sudden, you realize, like a friend of mine years ago who was helping me in ministry, she's like, she came in and got really mad at me, punches me. She's like, why didn't you tell me it was wrong to smoke pot? I'm like, I had to tell you that? And she's like, you know, I've been smoking weed ever since I was like nine years old. And you lead me to Christ and you never, you never told me what to do. You just told me to read the Bible. She goes, I'm, I'm over here helping you with these middle schoolers. We called it junior high back then when dinosaurs roamed the earth. And she goes, and then I'm going home and I'm, you know, I'm smoking weed and everything. I just realized I hadn't had a joint for like a month. I go, isn't it cool when God takes it away? She didn't even have to deal with it. Right? See, this is why don't work out somebody else's salvation. You have no idea what you're talking about. I'm a pastor, and I'm not anointed to tell you what to do. I'm anointed to teach the word. Now, my flesh wants to. But, but I got to tell you, I don't have... See, there's a lot of really awesome men and women of God in ministry that probably, you know, they're not in the same realm of me. I am up to here with me, keeping myself right. Because I've been wrong, and now I'm right, and I don't ever want to go there again. Right? So, so we, we, we work on ourselves. It's just like the Lord told me years ago with Jeanette. You know, you love her, you give yourself to her, and you let me mold her into the woman of God that she's to be. Right? I'm sure he said the same thing to Jeanette. She's had a much harder time with that than me. Because, <laughs> wow, right? But, you know, here's the thing. It's, it's awesome because God is greater. It's amazing. I don't know where I'd be without the Lord. I don't even want to know. And the cool thing is I don't have to know. Because now I'm walking with him in his perfect will. And I love it. And, and, and I'm in his perfect will, and yet I know that it's still progressive. I'm still walking. I, I mean, talk to me in a month, I'm going to walk in more. I'll know more about his love, more about walking with him, knowing him. It's wonderful. So Paul is talking about the progression 
of walking in the will of God as you renew your mind to the word. This is so, I can't say this enough, this is everything in your prayer life. you got to get this one right. Because, man, you could spend three minutes in prayer in this place and do major damage to the kingdom of darkness, whereas before you're spending hours in toilsome prayer that's most of it God's not even hearing. And here's the really cool thing. We have the Holy Spirit. You receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That power comes upon you to be a witness. And now you've got this prayer language. When you don't know how to pray, man, you just start praying in your prayer language. You're praying the perfect will of God. It stirs you like nothing else. You give thanks well. And it'll stir you. And all of a sudden, things will start coming up to pray. People will start coming up. It's wonderful how he orchestrates that. We'll talk more about that later. So the difference between being conformed and being transformed is this. Who is changing you? Is the world changing you? Or is God's word changing you? In other words, is pressure from the outside changing you? Or is a leading from the inside transforming you? And as you learn that, you will learn how the Holy Spirit will lead you in prayer, in everything. I just, I just got major goosebumps, came out of my spirit all over. Because that's truth. It's, it's, we don't talk about this, but this needs to be a foundation. Being conformed to the world, what it means is the outside pressure is pressing you into that mold. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind means that the inside, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, the things of God, He's, he's literally transforming you. He's changing the way that you think. Spiritual growth happens when you align your soul with what your spirit already knows and sees from God's Word. I remember when the Lord told me that. I'll read that again. It's so good. Spiritual growth happens when you align your soul with what your spirit already knows and sees from God's word. That's when spiritual growth happens. So here's a question, right? This is the natural question. So if I'm perfect on the inside, then why do I not live perfect on the outside? Right? That's a great question. I'm really glad you guys asked that question because we, we need to have the answer to that. And here's the answer. Because I haven't done anything with my soul that connects me to the outside. I have to do something with my soul. I have to, I have to allow my mind, my will, and my emotions to be changed from the inside so that now they will control all this outside stuff. And what comes out of that is a proper behavior. Right? See, Satan wants your imagination. He wants, he wants your mind to play HD videos of you living your life 
in a way that the Word of God says that you shouldn't live. Being sick, being broke, being depressed, all of these things. And, and see, because if he can get your imagination, it, it, that's where all your behavior comes from. But if your imagination is filled from revelation knowledge of God's Word, which is life, then now you'll know on the inside you're being changed. Your mind is being transformed and renewed from the inside. So now, outside stuff, it's like Satan, no, you, you can't mess with me, with me anymore in that. The big lie for my life, I didn't even know it was a lie. For years, is that, Tony, you're worthless. I didn't realize that when I'd walk around growing up in high school, even after high school, I'd walk around saying things like, the world would be a better place if I was never born. While I mean, I'd teach Bible studies, and then I'd go home saying that to myself. And then when that lie was exposed by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, when a lie is exposed, it loses all of its power. And man, the enemy will come at me with worthlessness sometimes. But it, it's, it's almost funny. Because I could see it a mile away. It's no longer a hold on me anymore. Oh, he'll try, but it's, it, it doesn't get me the way it used to. It, it seems foreign. It's almost like I could see in my past that I had some problems with this, but it's like it wasn't even me. You know why? Because it wasn't even me. Because the minute I was born again, I was made brand new. And worthlessness could never, from, I mean, from, from literally July of 1966, worthlessness could never, now this is before he planted the lie, but worthlessness could never touch my spirit, man. All it could do was mess up my soulish realm. But the word of God comes in and turns everything right side up. It's awesome. This is huge. I must renew my mind with God's word. It's my foundation. It's my foundation. So let me go through some things. Go to Romans chapter 6. And, and we have to learn how to reckon ourselves dead to sin. The Bible, you know, I always use this example and I, Pastor Edwin, you know, I've used him as an example in a men's Bible study one time when we were teaching on this. You know, he's a PhD in biochemistry. You know, right? That, that just, I can't even spell biochemistry. And, uh, and so he's a mathematical, he's pretty good at math. You know, pretty good, right? Ask any of his AP students at Elkhorn. They'll tell you he's pretty good at math, right? And so I said, I said Edwin, can you tell me what X plus Y is? And he just kind of looked at me. And so I taunted him a little bit. I'm like, come on, X plus Y, come on, that's easy. Well, he couldn't tell me what X plus Y is because he had to have information. But once he knew X was two and Y was three, he could now reckon that problem. He goes, oh yeah, it's five. Do you know, if you don't know certain things in Romans chapter six, you can't reckon yourself dead to sin because you don't have knowledge. This is why Paul says you've got to know some things to be able to reckon yourself dead from sin. So we got all these Christians that are out there being carnal, sinning, doing all this stuff. Well, actually, let me get it right. 
They're not sinning, the spirit man, because your spirit can't sin. Paul said that twice in one chapter. They're allowing the sin nature in their flesh to side with their unrenewed mind because they don't know something and they're, they're, they're taken captive and now they're doing something they don't really want to do. But here's what you got to reckon. Romans 6.11. It says, likewise, in other words, in the same manner, reckon. This is the Greek word. The word reckon means count it to be done. Accept to be true what has already been accomplished and is an established fact. That's what reckon means. Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. It's the Greek noun hamartia. You have to reckon, count it to be done, count it to be accomplished because it's an established fact that I am dead to sin. Not the action of it, the noun, the sin nature. My spirit can't sin. Yours can't either. You will never walk free from sin in the behavior of sin if you don't know that you are dead to it. And we think, well, of course, Jesus redeemed me from the curse, the curse of the law, it's spiritual death. He was made to be sin so that I would be made the righteousness of God. Yeah, we know that right here, but we haven't renewed our mind to it yet. Okay? Because we still got a bunch of Christians thinking, I am what I do. And when they do that, Satan has something to beat them up about. The shame of sin will drag them right back into sin, and they never walk free from it. And from our pulpits, we tell people to live righteously. Just, just live righteously. Well, righteous is not behavior. It's my position. And, and righteousness, I got to know that I've been made the righteousness of God in order to walk holy. Because holiness flows out of righteousness. But if I don't know that, now what does this have to do with prayer? Well, if you're doing really good every day, and then you pray, and you're really proud of yourself because you're really doing a good job, you're going to be real excited to go, to go to God and pray. You just led somebody to the Lord. You feel really good, you know. But see, the bummer about that is what if you don't feel real good? And what if, what if you go out to breakfast and you've been kind of witnessing to this server, but the night before you really messed up and you did something you shouldn't have done and you go to breakfast the next morning and the server pulls you off to the side and says, hey, I really need you to pray for me. And Satan's sitting on your shoulder going, oh, this is cool. Nothing's happening because look at what you did. You'll beat yourself up and Satan will steal from you. But if you realize that you've been made the righteousness of God, you'll know when you go into his presence, he'll hear you. And what happens now is now you're empowered to walk free from that nonsense. So we have to know some things. Likewise, reckon ye also yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did the Bible say that? You were to count yourself as dead to sin. Right? Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. 
Don't let it reign in your mortal body. Because why? Because your flesh still has a sin nature. Do not let that have full and superior dominion in your life. What do you mean don't let it happen? You, the spirit, you tell your body what you're doing. Right? You, the righteousness of God, tells your body, no, we're not going there. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey or carry out in the lust thereof. So we got to reckon ourselves dead to sin. Verse 13. Neither yield. Now, this in Romans 12:1, this word yield is the same Greek word that's translated in Romans 12:1, present. So in other words, you could say neither yield or you could say neither present your members, your flesh, as an instrument, that word instrument literally means a weapon, of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't let, don't let your flesh be a weapon that acts out this sin nature. But yield or present yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead. And your members as instruments or weapons of righteousness unto God. Have you ever judged anything? Have you ever talked bad about your pastor? Have you ever talked bad about your spouse? Yeah, we don't have to do that anymore. If you count yourself dead to it. But alive to God. There are six declarations of our identification with Christ. Listed in Romans 6, verse 3 through 8. It's 820. I'm going to give you the list, and then we might talk about it a little bit next time. Hallelujah. Let me just go back, and I'll give you the list really quick. Well, here, I'll flip through and give it to you really fast. For you note-takers, I don't want to leave you hanging. So, first one is found in verse 3, Romans 6, 3. Know you not that as so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death, the first thing you have to know to walk free from sin is you have to realize you were baptized with Christ into his death. Right? Number two, verse four. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Number two, we were buried with him. Number three, we've been raised to newness of life. In other words, we were raised to a brand new life. Right? So let's keep going. Number four is found in verse five. It says, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. So number four, you gotta know that we were united together with him in the likeness of his death and resurrection. Number five is found in verses six through seven. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth, from now on, we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So number five is you got to know you've been crucified with him. When Jesus was on the cross, you were there positionally with him. And number six, we have been freed from sin. 
So in other words, you got to know you were baptized or immersed with Christ in his death. We were buried with him. We've been raised to a newness of life. We were united with him together in his death and resurrection. Our old man is crucified with him. And number six, we have been freed from sin. When you know those six things, you can now reckon yourself dead and now you can walk free from sin. Sin will not have dominion over you. We might talk a little bit more about this before we get into some principles of prayer, but here's the principle for tonight. you got to renew your mind so that you're being changed as you're yielding to the inside. You're being transformed. You're no longer being pressed into the mold of the world, and now I'm sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. I'm sensitive to spiritual things. When I'm coming to church, the Lord's stirring me. And as, as I'm faithful in this, he'll give me more, right? And there's going to be anointing and all this stuff flows. And in the process of it all, what's really cool is all your needs will be met, all your prayers will be answered, all of it. This is huge. We have to know this before we get into the different types of prayer. Amen?